hypocrite is something and does something else. He says it's bad to smoke, and then he smokes. And so uh, somebody this past week or so was calling the Pope a hypocrite. And that was because the Pope, he said that now the priests can bless same-sex unions. The priests can bless them, but they're not good, but they can bless them. So he says one thing, they're not good, but then he says you can bless them on the other hand. So anyway, we have a woke pope there today. And then the other thing is, is there's a problem going on right now that's bigger than COVID, the headline said. Why are so many Americans dying early? Why are so many Americans dying early? Life insurers have been consistently sounding the alarm over these unexpected or excess deaths, which claimed 158,000 more Americans in the first nine months of 2023 than in the same period in 2019 before COVID. Congress should urgently work with insurance experts to investigate this troubling trend. With the worst of COVID behind us, annual deaths for all causes should be back to pre-pandemic levels, or even lower because of the loss of many sick and infirm Americans. Instead, the death toll remains alarming, disturbing, and deserving of urgent attention, according to insurance company articles. Actuarial actuarial reports used by insurers to inform decisions show deaths occurring disproportionately among young working age people. But the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention opted in September to uh, no longer report the excess deaths on their web page, with a note stating these data sets will no longer be updated. Well, why would the Centers for Disease Control stop publishing the excess death figures? Because they don't want people to know about it. And that's a real concrete, of course, on the internet, you get, get a lot of contradictory things. You get one guy saying there's going to be a recession. The other guy says there's not going to be a recession. There's going to be this and that. But here we have the Centers for Disease Control stopping reporting about excess deaths. And the insurance companies are complaining they're having to pay out too much money for all the life insurance because so many people are dying. So why is it that so many people are dying right now? Well, you know, uh, what's different now than before COVID? Well, the thing is, is there's one thing in particular I can think of. Now, I don't, I don't say that that's definitely the case, but something to think about might be the vaccinations. It might be that that has to do with it. Okay, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2 on that uh, cheery note there. Luke chapter 2, and we go to verse 21. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. And we're coming to the more joyful thing of the birth of Christ, and we're celebrating Christmas today right on Christmas Eve. And Luke 2, 21 although we're picking up here eight days after Jesus was born. 
And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, here we have eight days after Jesus was born. You know, I had a discussion last time. uh, We went door to door about were the wise men there when Jesus was born? Well, I, I look back in the Bible, I studied it a little bit. And in connection with this verse, these verses here, you know, of course, they lived in Nazareth, way up there. It took them days to get down to Bethlehem to have Jesus be born there. And eight days after Jesus was born, they were in Jerusalem, which is down near Bethlehem. And so you would assume that they stayed in that area for at least eight days there uh, before they went to Egypt. But anyway, and then you go to the wise men account with Herod, and Herod tells him to go to Bethlehem. That's what he found out. And he sent them off to go to Bethlehem, and they were going to Bethlehem. So, I don't know, I tend, I tend to think that uh, the wise men were there. If not on the very night Jesus was born, then a, a couple days later. But anyway, uh, we don't know totally for sure. So here are eight days after Jesus was born, They come to the temple to get Jesus circumcised. And that was according to the law. According to the law, they were supposed to do that. Uh, After the birth of a child, the woman was unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, they were supposed to go to the uh, circumcision of the child. And you know, they found in science today that the maximum... Uh, coagulation or clotting of blood in babies is at eight days. And that's exactly when it was decreed that the babies should be circumcised. And so here Jesus, he fulfilled the law. And his parents took him to Jerusalem there. And they offered up a pair of turtle doves, we're told, in verse 24. You know, most people offered up a lamb. That was the first choice in uh, doing this ceremony. Of course, this is the ceremonial law with these ceremonies. And they were supposed to give a lamb, but if they were too poor, they were supposed to give a couple of these birds, of the turtle doves or two young pigeons. So there we see that Jesus was born into a poor family. There was nowhere for him to go to be born other than in the stable there and a very low condition, uh, but he showed that riches and money are not important And as he came to that low condition. And then we have a responsive reading here about Simeon. Simeon. And what are we told about Simeon? Simeon was there waiting for Jesus to be born, waiting for the Savior to come to earth. We're told in verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It would seem to, I think the implication here, that he was an older guy, uh, just like Anna. We're told Anna was of a great age, but here we're going to get to her in a minute. 
But Simeon here was probably an older guy too. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He'd been waiting for a while. But it had been revealed to him that he would not die until he would see the Lord's Christ. And we're told here the Holy Ghost was upon him. The Holy Ghost. Uh, There are those that say that there was no Holy Ghost in the Old Testament, that the Holy Ghost just came at Pentecost. But no, the fullness of the Holy Ghost came at Pentecost for the church, but the Holy Ghost was around before. David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me, in Psalm 51. And here we are told in clear terms here before Pentecost that Simeon here had the Holy Ghost. It was upon him. And then we have down to verse 30. He takes up Jesus and he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Salvation had come to earth. Give you great tidings of good tidings of great joy, which shall be upon all people. And we have Jesus being born. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And of course, in John chapter 1, what does it compare Jesus to? It compares Jesus to the serpent on the pole. They had that serpent on the pole when the people were bitten by the serpents with Moses. They had to look to the pole, look to the serpent, and they were saved, and they were healed. And what happened here as people look to Jesus, and today as well. We look to Jesus. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And that serpent on the pole was a type of Jesus. Then we have verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. And you know, we have that word all in the New Testament. Uh, some of the uh, Baptists will tell you, the Arminians will tell you that all means all, and that's all that all means. But you know, that's not all that all means. Sometimes it does mean all, everybody that's ever lived. But uh, here it doesn't mean that. And most of the time in the Bible, when it talks about all in the New Testament, it's talking about Jew and Gentile, both. All types of people, all tribes of people. And uh, thou hast prepared before the face of all people. And you know, the Jews were very tribal. They were very closed. They wouldn't eat with Gentiles. They didn't want anything to do with Gentiles. And that was a really big thing in the New Testament, that the Gentiles could get saved as Gentiles. And thou hast prepared this salvation before the face of all people. And it goes on to say clearly, verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And so the Gentiles got the gospel. We've got it today. And that was an earth-shattering thing at that time to the Jews. And that's why it's always stressed about all, all people. And that's what we have here. Now let's go down to verse 34. We continue with Simeon after our responsive reading. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, here's some negative things about Jesus coming. He says here, Simeon says that Jesus would turn the world upside down. 
the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And people would speak against Jesus, speak against that Savior that came. And they would say, crucify him, crucify him. And a sword would pierce through Mary's own soul. Of course, Mary was not uh, other than a human being. She's not somebody that we should pray to. Uh, she's not doesn't have any authority over Jesus being his mother. But she was greatly blessed here having the Savior come from her. And here it says that she would suffer, though. A sword would pierce through her own soul also. And then it says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And, of course, we have the Word of God, the Bible, penetrates the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. And that's what we have. The thoughts of many will be revealed through Jesus and his word. Let's go on here to verse 36. We have Simeon. He was looking. And and Simeon, notice, Simeon wasn't looking about the world around him so much as he was looking above. He was looking for salvation. He was looking for spiritual things. And we have Anna here comes on the scene in the same way right there. Verse 36. And there was one Anna a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Well, here we have Anna. She was a prophetess. She didn't actually have the office of prophetess, I don't believe, because it talks about in the Bible that women shouldn't preach or usurp authority over the man. But she did the job of a prophetess. She spoke forth the word of God. She spoke it forth. And that's what a prophet does, prophet did. And we went over in Sunday school this morning, a prophet tells people what they don't want to hear. But here, she was a prophetess, and she was telling some positive things here of Jesus coming. And so anyway, she was there, and we're told that she was of a great age, a great age. Well, uh, what's a great age? Well, a great age would be over 100 years old, wouldn't it be? Uh, It seems like right here she was over 100 years old because you look here. She was of a great age. She had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. That says that she was married for seven years before her husband died. Seven years. And then it goes on to verse 37. It says, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. So for 84 years she had been a widow after being married for seven years, not counting the time that she lived before she got married. So that puts her up 84 and and 7, 91, and however many years old she was when she got married. But the one thing that was uh, custom back in these lands and those times was the women got married very early. They have said that the average age that women got married in the Ottoman Empire, 
which was the Muslim Empire there in that area a little bit later, was 12 years old. That was the average age. And uh, so most people believe that Mary was quite young when she got married. And here we have uh, Anna. And Anna, say she was 13 years old when she got married. Well, she was uh, about 104 years old here, 104 or so. Is that possible? Yeah, it's definitely possible. In fact, I know a lady in Delaware. Well, actually, she's not in Delaware. She's in the Marcus Hook Church. The Marcus Hook Church. And she is going to celebrate her 103rd birthday this coming March, Mrs. Gensel. And so uh, that's uh, very possible. So she was, and it tells us here, she was of a great age about 104 years old or so, somewhere around there. But she departed not from the temple, served God with fastings and prayers. She was looking not at the things around her, but she was looking unto God. She was looking for the Savior. She was looking at spiritual things. And she gave thanks when she saw Jesus. And she spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption. Jerusalem, those that were looking not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. And so let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 3, bringing it up to our days, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. And we have Anna and Simeon, they weren't looking at the things of this earth, and they were looking for the Lord's Christ to come. And what should we be doing today? Well, we're over at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For soon, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto the, unto, unto, oh, unto fire, uh, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So here Peter he wants you, wants you to remember. Remember what was spoken. And it was spoken that Christ is coming back the second time. He's coming back. And what should we do? We should be looking for his coming back. Just like Anna and Simeon were looking for the first coming of Christ, we should be looking for the second coming. And that coming is imminent. It could happen at any time. And then we have those words were spoken by verse 2 by the holy prophets. And then it says, of the commandments of us, the apostles. Did Peter claim himself to be an apostle? Yes, he did. Us, the apostles. 
And then he talks about in the last days. Can we know anything about the last days? Yes, we can. The Bible tells us a lot about the last days. And we should be able to figure out something when we look at those things of the last days. But anyway, it says in the last days, scoffers will come and they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue the same. And you know, that's as it is today. You know, we, I preached through the book of Revelation here for a long time. And we saw all those things that are happening in the future. And, you know, we can see things shaping up in the world around us. We can see those things shaping up that are prophesied. But some people, even Christians, like to sort of scoff at that. And they say, I've heard them say to me, oh, well, you know, there's always been wars and rumors of wars. And there's always been all these things going on. So how can you tell when, when Christ is coming back? You know, and, and these people like the premillennialists who'd like to say that he's coming back soon, that we can see the signs. Well, you can't really see the signs, you know. Well, you can see the signs. And of course, as I've said before many times, the big sign that we see today is Israel is in the land. Israel is there. And we got a war going on in Gaza right now with Israel. And why is that? Because everybody hates Israel. All the countries around Israel are gathered against them, but it's the Jews there in Israel. They're, uh, they're there. Again, they have a nation there since 1948. And that's a solid thing, a fulfillment of prophecy, because in the things of the last times, it's going to have Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And the Jews are going to be there. And for 2,000 years, the Jews weren't there. But they're back there again controlling it. And so here we have a nation is rising up against nation. We got two full-fledged wars going on right now in Gaza and also in Ukraine. But anyway, it's not all things continue as they were or as they are. They just keep on continuing the same. No. And then Peter gives the example of the flood. Look back at the flood. The flood. God destroyed the whole world at that time. By the word of God, he sent the flood. And, you know, back in the time of Noah, they were saying, oh, you know, everything's going on good. You know, so far we're so good, no problem. But things all ended up very quickly. And that's how it's going to happen in the future. And we need to be looking for that redemption, looking for the Lord to come back the second time. The first time Jesus came and was born in that manger in a lowly condition, but now the second time he's going to come back in power and great glory in Revelation 19. So we look back to the past. We see God destroyed the whole world through the flood. You can see evidence of the flood all over the world. Uh, over there when I was in Cameroon, uh, you know, we were up in the, in the hills and the mountains and they had these big boulders there, big piles of them, and they looked like little pebbles that had been tumbled. You know, the Kids have rock tumblers, you know, and they tumble the rock, get them all smooth. Well, they have these huge boulders there all smoothed out. And how'd they get all smoothed out? They're probably through the flood, being tumbled in the flood. And so anyway, God destroyed the world before, and he's going to destroy the world again. Except this time it won't be by water, it'll be by fire. 
And we have verse 7, that same word is kept in store, that God's going to destroy the world. And then verse 8, here's the favorite verse of the amillennialists, of those that don't believe in the literal hundred-year reign, thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Oh, don't you know that a day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And so there's not going to be a literal thousand years on the earth of the millennium because, you know, it's just going to be some period of time and because a day is a thousand years. But that's what the Lord, with the Lord, what it's saying is if the Lord delays a thousand years, that's not a long time for the Lord. It's like a day. But it's not saying that all of a sudden all days are thousand years and all thousand years are days. No. There's still thousand years and there's still days. And so here we have uh, God is not delaying too long because a thousand years is with the Lord as a day. Now let's go on here, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's another favorite verse of the Arminians, the all again here, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you see the context here of this. It's talking about God is coming back, Christ is coming back, And everything needs to be done before he comes back. And all of the elect need to be saved. At least the ones uh, that are saved before the rapture anyway. And so God is long-suffering to whom? Is he long-suffering to everybody that ever lived? No. He's long-suffering to us-word. Us, us, the Christian. Us-word. Not willing that any of us should perish but that all of us should come to repentance. Then verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the world's works that are therein shall be burned up. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. How does a thief come in the night? He surprises you. You don't expect him to come. All of a sudden he comes. And God, is, Christ is going to come back when we don't expect it. Anytime. Anytime. And you can't write a book about Christ is coming back in 1994, because if you do that, then he's not going to come back in 1994. He's a thief in the night. And the earth is going to be burned up. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Well, you know, we, we, we tend to focus on what we can see. And look at all around us, all these things that we see all around us. And everything we see around us is going to be burned up. 
Our bodies are going to be burned up too. Everything's going to be burned up. Everything's going to be burned up. Well, actually, I'll take that back. But everything's going to be burned up. But anyway, our bodies are going to decay too. And they're not going to just stay around the way they are. And everything's going to pass away. Everything's going to be burned up. And so we shouldn't concentrate on these things around us. Just as Anna and Simeon, they didn't concentrate on the things around them. They looked for the redemption that was coming. In the same way, we should look for the redemption that's coming today. And uh, praise the Lord for his word. Praise the Lord that uh, we have that blessed hope, the blessed hope that Christ is coming back. And how should we act with that blessed hope? It says, verse 14, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. You know, God loves peacemakers. We want to be living in peace as much as possible, without spot and blameless. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, we pray that thou would bless these thoughts to our hearts, and O Lord, help us to look for the redemption that's coming. Help us not to concentrate so much on these things around us. In Jesus' name, amen.